John chapter 6, verse 48 through 51. We come to the end of Christ's teaching in John chapter 6, and He's going to reflect in in the next paragraph over His entire teaching. But I want to bring you a message entitled, The Bread of Heaven. It's the third message, really, in in a series of messages that began... Uh, three weeks ago now, in Exodus chapter 16, and two messages, Exodus 16 and now this one, they really go together. There's three parts of one message. The fact is that Jesus is going to draw on an analogy in this passage, calling Himself the bread of life. And, <clears throat> and that, that analogy really stretches back to Exodus 16, the manna that rained down from heaven. And so we've looked at the sinful condition of mankind. The fact that God's response to our sinful condition should be justice and wrath. And rather, He gives us grace. He rained down manna from heaven. He should have let the Israelites starve to death. Because they were rebellious. They doubted Him. They, didn't, they, they, they were in unbelief. He should have allowed them to starve to death. Instead, He responded by giving them heaven, heavenly bread. The food of angels, as the psalmist calls it. They got to eat the food of angels for 40 years. That was his response. That's how great our God is. Our rebelliousness should bring His justice instead brings grace. It's a beautiful picture in Exodus 16, but it's incomplete without John 6 and verse 48. I am the bread of life. That brings finality to Exodus 16. Exodus 16 means nothing without that verse. I am the bread of life. Thousands of years later, Jesus puts a bow, a finishing touch, on what God did in Exodus 16. He says, I'm the bread of life. Now, a lot of people will use this passage that we're going to look at this morning, and they'll talk about the sacrament, as they would refer to it, of the Lord's Supper, or communion, Holy Communion. I want to, in this introduction time, I want to just... Kind of set that aside. I want to, I want to maybe rest your mind on that, and then we're going to move into what I believe is really the message of this passage. Because it's a distraction, I believe, to begin to focus on the Lord's Supper in this passage. That's not Christ's focus. It is not His focus. And I want to show that by showing you three things, okay? This passage is not about the Lord's Supper. It's not about a sacrament or Holy Communion. That's not what this passage is about. This passage is about the crucifixion. It's about a substitutionary atonement. It's about Christ's death. That's what this passage is about. There's three things, like I said, I want to show from this text. Jesus, first of all, is pointing to the view, uh, us to, to view His life, spiritual life, granted to us through spiritual bread. There's a contrast here between physical bread and physical life in the wilderness, and spiritual life and spiritual bread found in Christ. You see the contrast. Look up in the passage. He says, just before he says, I'm the bread of life, look what he says. That Moses ate the bread and died. That Moses had physical bread and he had physical life, but yet when they ate, the bread, the fathers ate the bread, they died. Jesus contrasts himself to that. 
He's not talking about a communion sacramental element. He's not talking about grape juice and bread here. He's talking about spiritual bread, spiritual flesh, bread. Okay? That's his focus. Not coming up here and then taking the sacraments. That's not what gives you spiritual life. The, 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 the error of the church for over a thousand years was that on the day of the Mass, Christ was crucified and those who took the Mass were saved. By the church, they were saved. And that's just not a true, true view of this passage. That's not what he's teaching. He's contrasting earthly manna with his spiritual manna. The second reason I think that we should not talk about a sacrament in this passage is that Jesus chooses to use a verb tense in verse 50 and 51 that is key. And that tense is aorist tense. And that may mean nothing to you. Though Though we have the aorist tense in English, we don't usually talk about tenses of verbs. Uh, we simplify things. But look in verse 50. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat. That word eat right there is in the aorist tense of it and not die. What is, what's so crucial about that? Eat in the aorist tense. What does that matter? This is the point. Jesus is saying you eat one time singularly in the past and it has continual effect on your life. Aorist means an action that occurred in the past and yet has effect in the future. In other words, you can't be talking about the sacrament of the Lord's Supper here because we do that over and over and over and over and over again. If Jesus was talking about the Lord's Supper, He would, he would not have used the aorist, which was a past tense action. He would use a present tense. Continue to eat my flesh and you will live. But instead He says, He who ate my flesh will live. All through the future, even eternally, he says in the passage. So we have this verb. This, this verb points us to an action that happened in the past and yet now has effect into the future. It happens again in 51. Look there. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. It doesn't come down every time the, the Catholic Church celebrates Mass. The flesh of Christ came down one time. And John 1.14 says that that was at His birth. The Word became flesh and lived with us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's when He came down. And yet He has continual effect on us, you see. So the choice of the language here, the verbs. And then finally, how can this not be about the Lord's Supper? Why would I not dare use this passage as the Lord's Supper passage? Well, because Jesus speaks of His flesh, sarke or sarx is the verb, or the, the word, flesh, the noun, not His body. That's a subtle distinction, but very important. His flesh. Jesus says in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my, not body, flesh. The Lord's Supper is always spoken of His body. Body encompasses flesh, spirit, and soul. Flesh only, only 
encompasses the physical tent. Jesus is saying, I'm going to give up my body, my physical tent. His spirit did not die. His soul did not die. His body died. If he was speaking about some spiritual sacrament that would occur, it would seem that he would say body. Because that's what it says in every gospel narrative that tells us about the Lord's Supper is Jesus says, eat, this is my body given for you. When he's talking about the spiritual communion that he has with the believers, he uses the word body, not flesh. Flesh is about this tent, the bone and skins and blood. That's what he gave up. He laid it down for us. He died in that flesh. We sing an old song, And Can It Be? And it says that thou, my God, should die for me. That's not really a real good expression there, although I understand the idea. God did not die on the cross. He lived. His flesh died. So the, the people who wrote Amazing Love, the new song, based on And Can It Be, got it right when they said that the king died for me. The king did die. But God did not. And so he can't be speaking here about a sacrament, a spiritual sacrament, because he's talking about his flesh, his skin and bones, his blood, his muscle tissue. That's what the flesh encompasses. 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, they speak of a body. When Paul talks about the Lord's Supper, he says that it's the representative of God, of Christ's body, which again takes in a bigger idea than just his flesh. So when we're talking about the Lord's Supper, there are other passages to use to defend the use of the Holy Communion and the Lord's Supper. And I believe in it. I do believe that we should take communion. We do it here every month. This is just not the passage. Okay? I want to lay that aside because I believe that's distracted great men of the church for centuries. And they miss the point of the passage. You go read their commentaries. They just miss it. The point is, I don't want you to miss it. The point is, Jesus is the bread of life. Salvation is the point. Him dying for those who believe is the point here of this text. He is the bread of heaven. He is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of heaven. This is the first of the seven I Am statements in this book of John. If we look here in verse 48, I am the bread of life. He says it in 41, I am the bread that came down from heaven. He says it in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He says it in verse 32, Jesus said to them, Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. He said that in reference to himself. He's, He's using this analogy of bread throughout the chapter, throughout his teaching, I am the bread of life. This is the first I am statement of seven. He's going to go on in later passages, which we'll look at, and he's going to say, I'm the light of the world in John 8, 12. I am the gate in John 10, 7. I am the good shepherd, John 10, 11. I am the resurrection and the life in John 11, verse 25. He's going to say, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. In John 14, 6. And he's going to say in John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. All of these I am statements are critical for our understanding of who Christ is. I, John is now building a Christology, a, a, a study of who Christ is. And he begins in John 6 with Jesus' words, I am the bread of life. 
So today is a beautiful lesson for us on who Jesus is. I was telling the young folk in the catechism class this morning, and I'm going to say it to you, we run around calling ourselves Christians and we don't even know who Christ is. If somebody stopped us on the street and said, could you define for me who Jesus is? Could we do it? Do we know Him? Do we even know some facts about Him? As one of the children said very, very wisely, well, Christianity is not all about knowing stuff. You're right. That's the very least of it. It's not all about knowing stuff, and it's not all about getting right answers on a test. But if you can't even get the right answers, how are you to have confidence that you really know who He is? You see, if somebody stopped me and asked me, how do I know Amy Weathers? I would at least know facts about her, right? And I would know much more than that because beginning with the facts, I moved to relationship. And unfortunately for us, we've left the facts. And we're in a very subjective world that wants to make Jesus who they want to make Jesus into. John won't allow us to do that because he takes Jesus' own words and says, this is who I am. I am the bread of life. This is the first of seven teachings in John about who Jesus is. I am the bread of life. It's the first one and therefore very key in our understanding of who Jesus is. The seven images all point to the fact that Christ is all we need. He's all we need. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. All of them, all the things we need. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. All seven of these images that God has painted for us in Christ's own words to teach us who Christ is say Jesus is all we need. He's everything we could ever want and He's all we will ever need. This is the first of the I Am statements. This is the third image that John gives us from the Old Testament to speak of Jesus. And Jesus used these all three of these in His own words. In John chapter 1, speaking to Nathaniel, He says, This has amazed you that I've told you that I knew you under the fig tree. What will you do when you see the Son of Man ascending and descending from heaven? That is a reference to Jacob's ladder. To Genesis, where Jacob had communion with Christ pre-incarnate that night when he had his wrestling match, when he got his broken hip. That's the first reference to the Old Testament. And it points to the fact that Jesus is the revelation of God. You can't know God outside of Christ. You can't see God outside of Jesus Christ. God is known only through His Son. There's no spiritual, mystical knowledge of God contained in another place besides Christ. He has revealed His glory in His Son. And that's the only place. That's the first Old Testament passage. Then we go to John chapter 3 and Jesus says, As the serpent was lifted up, 
in the wilderness, so shall I be lifted up, and all who look at me will have everlasting life. The bronze serpent in Moses' day that was lifted up over the people of Israel so that when they were bitten by the serpent, they could look to that bronze serpent and be saved. This speaks to the salvation of God. That's the picture. That's the Old Testament image that Jesus chose for Himself. And then this one in John 6, manna. He is the sustenance that comes from God. He's what sustains us. He is the very basis of our spiritual life. Without Him, we would starve. We would have no hope. Manna is His third and last image from the Old Testament that He chooses for Himself. You know, we ought to try letting Christ define Himself. I say we live in a very subjective world. I was in a bookstore. Many of you, anybody who knows me knows I like books. I was in a bookstore not too long back looking at titles in a Christian bookstore. And they had every type of Jesus you wanted. The consumer Jesus. The time management Jesus. The your best life now Jesus. The conservative Jesus in politics. I mean, they, they literally believe they know who Jesus would vote for in this upcoming election. Can you believe that? I don't know who I'm going to vote for, but they're going to tell me who Jesus would have voted for. These are the images in our world about Jesus. When's the last time you passed the bookshelf and saw Jesus, semicolon, the bread of life, an exposition of John chapter 6, verse 48? Not your top seller, is it? But shouldn't it be? Shouldn't we let Christ define Himself? Do you like people defining you? Or would you rather define who you are? Jesus defines for us who He is in His Word through those who have written the Scripture. He says, so when He says, I am the bread of life, our ears should perk up. We should become interested. What do you mean? Why is bread a good picture for you, for you Jesus? That's the question we should ask. Why is bread a good picture for you? He's the basis of our spiritual life. I said that, I want to say it again. He's the basis of our spiritual life. In the Near Eastern world, in Jesus' day, bread was not what you had if you had room to eat it. Bread was the main course. Bread was a luxury. People died to have it. And when he says, I'm the bread of life, he's not just talking about some common barley loaf. I get the picture because he ties himself to the manna that this is unbelievable Italian cheese-covered bread. Or whatever was the equivalent in the Near Eastern world in Jesus' day. It's not the leftover welfare ration of His day. He's saying, I am the hearty sustenance of your life. I am the basis of your life. You may have some other things going on that define you in some small way, but if you're mine, I define you. I am the basis of your life. You can't survive without me. You have to have me. That's why bread is a good picture of who Jesus is. And not only is it a luxury, it is worldwide. Every culture in the world doesn't eat spaghetti. But every culture in the world 
eat some form of bread. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. In other words, not just to the Jewish people, to every culture around the world, I'm the basis of life. I'm the bread of life. Jesus might say, the reason it's a good picture for me is because I satisfy all your needs. When you're hungry, you just want one thing and that's a good meal, don't you? That's what I want. You want a good meal. You want to fill your stomach. You want to reach your point of fulfillment and satisfaction. Jesus says, I am that bread that gives you ultimate satisfaction. Without me, you cannot be satisfied. You cannot have spiritual life. And another reason he might say this, uh, this is a great picture is because it's sufficient for life. It's sufficient. Bread and water is really all we need. Might not be all we want, but it's all we really need. He is sufficient. He's all we need. Jesus is the bread of life, not just because He lived, but because He died. And He turns us to that in verse 51. Look in verse 51. He says in verse 48, I'm the bread of life. We've looked at why bread's a good picture of who He is. He draws the analogy to the man in the wilderness and the fact that they died. And then He transfers His subject. Look what He says. I'm the bread of heaven. If, if you eat this bread... You won't die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. His focus is on his death. The bread that I give is my flesh. The crucifixion is in view here. I want to give my life, my flesh. My, the bread is my, my life, my very sacrifice. His life on earth is important. I don't want us to miss it. We focused on it in past messages. Without the obedient life of Christ, He's not a worthy sacrifice for men. He had to live and obey all of His Father's commandments. Okay, I don't want you to not think His life's important. But His life by itself is condemnation. If He just lived the perfect life, and went back to heaven, we would see one more example of how we can't be Him. And we would die and go to hell. What makes Him the bread of life? What makes Him the bread is His life. What makes Him life is His death. He's the bread of life. He's not just bread. Bread is is kind of a, a, a picture of His life. Who He was on this earth. He's sufficient. He's all we need. He's the perfect sacrifice. But his, the reason He can say I'm the bread of life is because He gave His life for us. He's not condemnation to us any longer, those who believe in Him. Why? Because He gave up His life for us to bridge us to God, to bring us to God, to make us from enemy to friend, to make us from outcast to adopted. That's what He is for us. And that happens in His, life, in His death. He's the bread of life. His life was lived perfectly, but it only brings us condemnation without His substitutionary death on a cross. So, Jesus is the bread of heaven. But, as great as that is, and as much as we may believe that, we must personally 
personally feed on Christ if we will live forever. These verses not only teach us who Jesus is, but how we're to respond to Him personally. Look what it says. 48, I'm the bread of life. 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat. What's the response? We're to eat Christ. We're to ingest Him. Take Him in to our being. Is that a strange analogy to you? It was to His audience. They immediately said, how will we eat His flesh and drink His blood? How are we going to do it? So it should be a little strange to us. Eating in verses 50 and 51 are equivalent. Are their Im- it's an image of believing Jesus. Believing in Jesus. Eating is an image of believing. Okay? And I want to show that quickly. The first thing you must know is that you need Jesus. You cannot be saved unless you know you need salvation. You won't eat unless you know you're hungry. Okay? The first thing we need to be well equipped with is a knowledge of who we are. We need Jesus. Food brings life like no other substance in the world. You know, you can go, we need to exercise too. We need to exercise, right? It's a great thing. Makes the body healthy. Person's healthier, lives longer, these kind of things. But if you exercise and don't eat, you'll die. You have to have food. We need food. We need Jesus. We have a great need, a great hunger, a great starvation in a sense that's set into ourselves. We need Him. You not only need Jesus, you know you need Him because you're hungry. If you're here and you're lost today, the fact is you know you're in need. Don't you? I mean, just stop and think about your life. Take the mask off for a few seconds. Look in your heart. You're completely and utterly confused about what this thing, life, is all about. Aren't you? I mean, I could just be off base, but I really believe that. I believe every person in this room who is lost, and there are lost people here, they're confused about what this life is all about. It's got to be something greater than family, friends, staying healthy, working, retirement, and dying. It's got to be more than that. has to be. You know you have a need. That need, we're going to call hunger. That's the analogy here, eating. You're hungry, aren't you? You're hungry. Some still see themselves as able to live without Jesus. You, you may say, well, I am kind of hungry, but I'm feeding that hunger. I'm feeding it with enjoyment, with entertainment. Has it satisfied you yet? I'm feeding it. 
with relationships. I got lots of friends. I'm making more. Has it fulfilled you yet? Are you satisfied? Has it met your need? I'm fulfilling. I just started my family. I'm going to have a big family. That'll fulfill me. I'll feel like I've accomplished something in life. Really? Go sit down with somebody who has a big family. Ask them if their family fulfills them. Well, you know, one more promotion at work, I'll be at the top. Before you get it, go sit down with the guy who's got that job right now. Ask him if that's what makes him fulfilled in his life. If I just had a hundred more dollars, there's guys on your streets you can go talk to who've got a hundred more dollars than you do. See if they're not looking for another hundred, another thousand. The fact is, you know you're hungry. You know you have a need. And you're going to all the wrong places to fill it. Some of you are a little more devious in your nature. And you're not just pursuing it by good moral means, but immoral means. You're enticed by the sex-filled culture that we live in. You're enticed by it. And I can tell you, there's plenty who will stand and give witness that you can chase down that road as long as you desire and it will never fulfill you, ever. You choose the path you want to take and I'll tell you when you get to the end of it, you'll leave fully convinced this was not what life was about. There's only one way. There's only one life that's worth living. And it's the life that Christ can only offer. I'm saying you know you have a need. I'm saying that you're hungry. And you know it. And I'm saying He's the bread of life. He's all that will satisfy that hunger. You know that eating is the only way to satisfy the hunger. That's why you're doing the things you're doing. You're attending church. You're learning doctrinal truths. You're doing good deeds. You're trying to be a good person. You're trying to satisfy that hunger with everything and anything. And He's the only one who will satisfy the hunger. You know that you must personally eat the bread of life. Look at the words of Jesus in verse 50. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. So that one, one, a person, may eat and live and not die. One, the focus is one, not your family, not your heritage, not your culture. One, Jesus says you can't eat of this bread as a group. You've got to eat it. You've got a real hunger. You're trying to satisfy it in all these other ways. At the end of the day, there's only one way to be satisfied, and it's Christ. Believing in Christ. We must understand that this is life and death. It's life and death. You know... Maybe it's God's will that we be in this passage in this time of this year. I just last week sat at a banquet table of food. 
I was getting ready for this message. A lot of you did the same thing, didn't you? You went in wherever it was you were going to eat, and there was all this food there. And your stomach grumbled. And you knew that you had a need, and the need was food, and there was plenty of food there. There wasn't a lack of food. That's not the problem. Why you're still hungry. The reason you're still hungry is you haven't eaten the food yet. Right? So what if we all gathered around the table, me and you and your family and my family, and the food's there and everybody fills their plates? And I sat at the table next to all the people eating the good food. And I said, I'm going to get full and satisfied because they're eating. I'm going to watch them. I'll get full. Will you? No, you'll get more hungry. You'll desire it more, but you're not fulfilled until you fill the plate up and eat. And what I've been trying to tell you and what Jesus is saying to this audience that he spoke to, what he's saying to you through his word is this. You can come sit in a place like this and you can be near people who are eating, but you've got to eat. You have to. It's personal. It's between you and him. How do I eat? The first thing is you recognize bread comes from another source besides yourself. The good thing about Thanksgiving dinner is it's not me. <laughs> it's outside of me. So I'm hungry and there's food outside of me that I can eat. The bread, the bread on the table, the food there, when I ingest, when I take it into my body, it becomes me. It really does. Its nutrients go throughout my body, and it's me. And I'm the food. You ever read the health expression, you are what you eat? Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. The one who eats of me will live. He will not die. And I'm telling you, if you eat Him, if you believe in Him, if you ingest Him this morning, you will become Him, and He will become you. That's what Paul said anyway. And he said, that I have died and Christ now lives. It's the perfect analogy because you have to have empty hands to eat. You don't go to the Thanksgiving table with filled up hands. You go to Thanksgiving dinner with your hands empty, ready to fill them up. You can't bring anything to Jesus. He's not requiring that you bring Him anything. He's saying, come empty handed and eat from the banquet table that is my life. And live. That's what His offer is. It's an outside source that's going to feed you. you got to come empty-handed to have it. And once you eat it, you become what you eat. You become Christ in, in you. The bread must be eaten continually to sustain life. And I want to end on that point as just a reminder to Christians. Because it has focused a lot today on unbelievers you can eat Thanksgiving dinner. You're going to get hungry before next year. You can't live on little short meals here and there. The picture of bread is there in the Scripture for us because Christ's intention is that believers eat and feed on Him continually. The saving grace happens one time. The living grace, the continual grace, the sanctifying grace occurs every morning, new every morning. And so we have a banquet table here spread for us. 
If you're lost, I'm telling you, empty your hands, grab hold of Him, and eat. And if you're saved, I'm saying, don't try to survive on a meal a week or a meal a day. Eat of Him continually. He's a great feast. And then the picture is completed by John in Revelation 19, isn't it? Because what we really want is to be at that banquet table in heaven where the main course is Christ and grace and mercy for eternity. I'm going to be there. I'm not confident because of who I am. I'm confident because of who He is. And my prayer is that you will be there with me. And I'm confident that if you eat of Him today, you will be there. Let's pray. Father, this is the bread that came from heaven.